Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, we talk with Hope Baker. She's a birth mom and author of the book, Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey Into the Light. Hey there, welcome back to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder, dad of three through infant adoption. This is where we talk all about infant adoption and give you the inspiration and the stories and the resources and the community and the hope as you go on your adventure to start your family or build your family through adoption. So thank you for joining me today. Special episode. Um, I think every episode's special, but this one is really, uh, really pretty cool because we've got a birth mom on who's a fantastic uh, Hope Baker. She uh, placed her son for adoption back in 2013 and she struggled. She struggled through a lot in that de- depression and addiction and overcoming the stigma that surrounds birth moms. And she worked her way out of it and she found that hope enough to find, uh, to even write the book called Finding Hope, which is so appropriate and, and amazing and inspirational. And I can't wait for you to listen to her share her story and why she wrote the book and, and why you should get the book and read her book. It's, it's very inspirational chat that we have with hope. But first I wanted to ask you if you are interested in adoption and infant adoption and you are struggling on how to get started, don't know where to go, don't know which agency to choose. I got a way for you to, to do that. And a brand new course that I've created called find my adoption agency. And you can go over to findmyadoptionagency.com learn all about the course, how to get started and what the course, what's in it, what it's about. But we went through a lot of effort, a lot of research and a lot of our experience and working with others and to, to really hone down the exact steps that it takes to find the right adoption agency for you. And in the interview with Hope today, we even talking about agencies and the importance of support for birth moms. And that's, we go through this in the course why it's so important and how you get and why and how an agency should provide support before and after placement for birth moms. They really super important. They should do this. We talk about that in the interview and we go through it really well inside the course too, because that should be a part of why you choose an adoption agency, important, important part. So go to findmyadoptionagency.com if you don't know how to get started or where to find an agency, how to find an agency, how to find the right one. And we go through the whole step-by-step process of doing that and even give you lists of agencies to pick from or to try to communicate with and interview and figure out if they're the right ones for you. So go to findmyadoptionagency.com to get started on that. And let's get into the interview right now with Hope Baker. All right. Welcome Hope to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you for having me, Tim. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. Uh, I, I know you and I talked about this in the in the pre-interview, but uh, it's really important for me. I, I love having uh, a different perspective come on the show, and and being an adoptive dad myself three times, going into each adoption, and even before we adopted, I think I was so important to be able to get different perspectives in the adoption world. So adult adoptees, birth moms to don't, to know what to not just know what to expect, but how are we going to navigate a relationship? And I know they're not all the same. Every adoption story is different. Every relationship is different, but if you get 
to know some of these stories, if you hear some of these stories, at least get to realize what, what it's like or what a relationship can look like and how it affects the adoption triad, birth moms, adult adoptees and the adoptive parents. So I appreciate you coming on the show. I think it's going to be a great conversation. And I wanted to start off with you sharing your adoption story. I know you wrote the book and we're going to get into that, but uh, I would like it if you could just share your story with whatever you're comfortable with sharing about how and why you, you chose parents for your, your baby and when that was. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 21, um, I was a junior in college, just finishing out my junior year. I found out that I was unexpectedly pregnant. I've now learned that we call those crisis pregnancies. <laughs> um, so I was in a crisis pregnancy and I found out I was pregnant when I was further along um, than most do. I was actually 20 weeks. And when going through, you know, different options and, and what to do, um, I am pro-choice. So it's, you know, abortion was on the table as well. Um, for me and my life and my child, that wasn't a decision I was comfortable making. Um, so over the next couple of weeks, it was, well, what do I do? I'm 21. I'm not ready to be a mom. You know, the, the father at the time was not involved and we weren't aligned. And it was just a lot of back and forth. And most of the people in my life knew I wasn't ready and knew that that wasn't necessarily the path in life that I had ever wanted to take in the first place. Um, so adoption, right, came to mind. And over the course of a lot of Google searching and, you know, reaching out to different people and going on different websites, um, I actually came across a single mom and her adoption book showed up almost like an ad on Google. Hmm. I think she had used like Google AdWords to put her adoption book there. And I just had clicked it one day after, I mean, I had looked at so many families through agencies and online and I clicked it and I started reading through her book and thought, you know, this is who I want to be when I grow up. Hmm. This is who, you know, I aspire to be someday. And I reached out to her and to her lawyer whose information was there and confirmed that she was in fact a legit person because remember it showed up on the site of google <laughs> so i had to make yeah, never sure. know that's right you didn't, you yeah, didn't double check it was, was real um and shortly after that you know her and i were communicating i had sent her a couple of pictures of ultrasounds and i flew out to visit her um and i i'm telling you when i met her i knew almost instantly that if i could not raise my son that she was the only person who I felt in my mind should do it. Wow. And we spent that weekend getting to know each other and, you know, went to the beach and I really got to catch a glimpse of the life that my son would live. And that, it, you know, that's how I wanted him to live and with that type of person. So, you know, the rest is, you know, there's a lot of in between, a lot after and a lot during, but that's, you know, how I came to the adoption table and really how I found the woman who is now my son's mom. It's really interesting because, you know, you talk to, uh, I don't know, pregnancy crisis centers and places like that. Adoption always doesn't, doesn't always come into the picture. So it's, it's interesting that you said it just came to mind. Did it come to mind on your own or was that was there something out there that just kind of prompted you like, Hey, maybe I could do adoption. 
did you always know adoption was part of was an option for you? I guess I knew that adoption. You know, I knew what adoption was. I can't say that I was educated, and even while placing my son for adoption, I did not feel very educated in adoption actually until the last couple of years. But it was, you know, an odd situation actually at the the my local clinic where I found out that I was pregnant. Adoption came up almost instantly. Hmm. Um, there was actually a nurse who was working there, and this was, you know, highly inappropriate. But I get it, you know, possibly. I don't know. I think sometimes in adoption, parents can be so desperate for a child. And I get that, you know, and I, 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 I see it and I understand it, but there was a woman who worked there who wanted to adopt a baby hmm. and about probably within the first less than an hour of me finding out that I was pregnant very unexpectedly and, and further along than, you know, I, <laughs> then you would imagine um, she was actually presented to me as a person who would be willing to adopt my baby. So That's a little quick there. An hour after you uh, found out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Quick in the same, in, in the same spot that you found out. Yeah. That's, that's tough. Yeah. So it was really, um, adoption was kind of thrown at me. I yeah. mean, like I said, I always knew what adoption was and I, you know, the, the doctor who came and spoke to me, um, that was one of the first things she actually brought up to me hmm. when I was asking what my options were. And I mean, since I've, I, I did write a letter to the clinic, just letting them know how that made me feel and how I hope that their practices would change. And I understand where it came from, but yeah. So adoption was brought to the table yeah. very, very, very quick. Yeah. That's, that's crazy quick. Yeah. So in your search and finding this a single woman that you wanted to be the mom for your son did you immediately know about open adoption as well like what that means or how, how could you be a part or continue to be a part of his life after he's born and placed with her interesting enough when i was searching out families i was looking on the east coast and the west coast i'm based in minnesota and that's you know i've lived all over since. But when I was pregnant, I was in Minnesota. And in my mind, I thought, okay, I need, I can't be close. Right. At first there was talk about maybe my sister who was trying to conceive at the time, maybe she adopts my son or, you know, will you find a family close? And I quickly thought, oh my gosh, like I can't do that. Like I can't imagine having him close and, you know, not being able to see him or talk to him. And on the flip side of that, I thought, is that what I want? Right? Like, is that what I want? And I don't think I ever necessarily got a great definition of closed versus open, even until after I had my son. But I do know that when I met my son's mom, you know, the woman at the time who had become his mom, she wanted an open adoption. And to her, open meant she wanted me to be a part of his life, wanted visits if those were, you know, um, if, you know, they were healthy, she wanted visits, she wanted contact. And, you know, when we were going through our paperwork and contracts and everything, I remember saying, gosh, I just, I don't know what I want. Like, is it going, is it going to be too hard to see him or, you know, what's going to happen? And it's interesting because, you know, after he was born, instantly changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I 
have, and, and it's been the same sense, right? He just turned eight two weeks ago. <laughs> and for eight years, I have wanted more and more and more and more and more. And I learned about this special thing, um, Tim, called boundaries. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the three to four visits that are in our contract every year, it's two to three visits. Uh, for now is is what the boundaries are <laughs> and I have had to learn that because I I tell you I I quickly switch right after he was born and I wanted more than what you know the openness that she not that she didn't want but was willing to give at the time so it's really interesting how it really in my mind flip-flopped yeah um, and actually you know I am going out there next weekend to see oh him. nice <laughs> very nice yeah i've heard that a lot actually that it does change and it makes perfect sense you know you don't know what you know or know what you want or how are you going to feel oh absolutely nobody i i personally do not feel like i was well prepared regardless i was it was a private adoption so i think sometimes when you work with agencies there's a little more education pre-birth and also, you know, maybe more support post-birth, but I didn't necessarily have any of that education. So, I mean, I was just going off of what I thought was going to be happening. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you will change and, and it's interesting. And, and I hear a lot of adoptive families talk about this and, you know, a lot of families come to me and say, my child's birth mother has gone quiet. Hmm. Or my child's birth mother went from wanting contact to not wanting contact. And sometimes it's the adoptive families who do that as well. And I think in adoption, it's just, it's constant ebbs and flows. Right. There are times when, although I always want to see my son, I always want to, you know, any contact I can get is what I want. But there are times where I emotionally can't do it. Hmm. I mean, I, I just I physically and emotionally cannot be present for him. And in those moments where I feel that way, not only do I feel like things are so heavy that I can't do it and I just, I can't put myself through the pain of, of leaving, right? Being there and then leaving and, and having to do that. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side of that, gosh, I feel so much guilt for <laughs> not being able to handle it. So it's yeah. all of these just whirlwind emotions. And I always try to tell adoptive families, listen things are going to change. Like they're going to go up and down. And if you're, if your child's birth mother at the moment can't do it, it does not mean she's gone forever. It doesn't mean that she doesn't want to be a part of the child's life. It just could mean that at that, that point in her life, I mean, she physically and emotionally can't do it. And I think we have to save space on all sides, right? For those emotions of just just being too overwhelmed and, and not being able to handle it. Because I'll tell you that you know, I thought that placing my son in, you know, his mom's arms when I left California after I gave birth and was flying back to Minnesota, I thought at the time that that was the hardest moment mm -hmm. that I would have an adoption. And I was very wrong. Every time I leave, it's the same pain. Mm. Right? It's the same pain. So when you're going through a hard time in life or you're having you know, your cup is too full with other things going on in your life. I mean, going through that emotional pain is it's hard. It's extremely challenging. So I always try to tell people you have to have grace on all sides, right? For adopted parents, for birth parents, and even for adoptees as they get older and say, hey, you know, I don't, 
I don't want two to three visits a year. Maybe right now I only want one or for right now I want to pause contact or maybe the adoptee wants more and the adoptive parents are feeling kind of freaked out. Like we have to save space for change and, and give grace to all sides. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. You mentioned round boundaries before, but you also mentioned space. And I think that's kind of the balance that we all walk along is there's got to be some boundaries somewhere. Uh, but there's also, you got to give grace and, and space because yeah, you don't know what necessarily, especially early on, uh, maybe the relationship's not built up to the point where you can understand or have a free flowing conversation to know what's going on. I think that's really important. You're right to give space. Totally. And we have to remember that in most cases of adoption, I'm talking like, you know, domestic infant adoption, not necessarily kinship adoption is completely separate. Right. right. But in most domestic infant adoptions and even international at this contact, you don't know these people. Right. The adoptive parents do not know the birth families. The birth families do not know the adoptive families. Yes. We've maybe like in my case, I did get to know his mom pretty, pretty well, I would say, but still, I mean, I don't know her intimately, nor does she know me intimately. Yeah. And in most cases you don't. So it is a process to get to know each other and to understand each other. And even just to understand tone, right? Like sometimes that, and I think in the beginning, that was the hardest thing for me to understand is even just tone of voice or tone in a text message and understanding how a person communicates and that this isn't anger, this is just how they communicate or, you know, they're not just intentionally not answering me, you know, maybe sometimes they take longer or whatever the case may be. I mean, even just that little piece of how people communicate because we don't know each other, Yeah, right? We're thrown into this adoption world by, <laughs> you know, be a crisis pregnancy or whatever the reason adoptive parents come to adopt. And, and it just takes time to get to know each other and to figure it all out. I you mean, you think about just, a, you know, a relationship and a courtship between two people Yeah, when you're looking to get in a relationship. I mean, it takes time <laughs> and effort. Yeah. No and different. effort. Yep. Yep. It takes time yeah. and effort. You know, it's not, uh, easy in a lot, of, a lot of cases, but you got to work at it. Yep. And you owe that to as adoptive families. Anyway, you owe that to your child and your child's birth parents to do, to work on that relationship. And that's why it's very, very important to keep at it and don't, uh, and don't give up. And especially if you, like you said, get some silence going on in there, just give them some space and then reach back out. You know, uh, do you guys, you mentioned you're going to go out there. Um, do you set that up? Uh, how does that work? Do you, is that something you just talk through or does uh, you guys have, you mentioned a contract too. Maybe you have certain times that you get together every year. Yeah, so we in our you know post placement um, contact contract, it allows for two to three visits a year, and it allows okay. even I think the the pictures was like two times a year, hmm. um, which I I have to tell you, I mean my son's mom definitely goes above and beyond with that. I get a picture book of my son, and I have for the last many years of pictures of his life. Yeah. I, I get that right, which I think. Is incredible. And actually my mom gets it and my grandma gets it as well. Oh, so wow. all, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty incredible thing that she does. So, um, that, that is part of our, you know, our openness, but we do get the two to three visits and, and typically we do 
one around his birthday and one around my birthday. And then one, you know, maybe throughout the year, um, which is great. So, you know, I mentioned his birthday was a couple weeks ago. So this was the first time we could get together. It was, you know, October. Sometimes I'm there the weekend, you know, right off his birthday and, and the, his first couple years of life, I was always there on his birthday party. So it's, it's evolves and grows yeah. as life gets busy, right? Gosh, he's eight and he's <laughs> in activities and school and play dates and all, you know, my gosh, we all know kids' lives are busy. So I think we've just grown to, you know, we roll with it. We adapt and roll. That's been my favorite phrase. Yeah. <laughs> we adapt and roll. Uh, but typically we do like to keep it around birthdays. And then if there's another sporadic visit, I mean, with COVID, it was really challenging that was, I went almost two years without seeing my son. Oh, wow. And to say that that was a challenge, you know, that's just the biggest understatement you could make. I mean, I've never, I'd never spent that, that much time away from him. So mm-hmm. I was there in August. So actually more recently in, you know, it was, it was an interesting visit because it'd been so long and gosh, kids grow so fast. <laughs> yeah. They're, right. At so that age, they completely like, change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, completely different kid. I mean, it was so interesting to be around and it was fun to, you know, get an invite back so quick. I mean, I, I don't necessarily request visits as much as I think I used to, because it's really hard for me to hear not right now. Mm -hmm. They're never knows, but they're not right now. And what I found for myself is I just, I can't go through that because it, it's not against her. It just triggers something inside me. Yeah. And I, I can't go through that of hearing <laughs> now's not a good time. So I typically like to, you know, I, we know that the birthday, the birthdays are a thing. And I, I really leave it up to her on, you know, when is another good time? Because you know, I just, especially yeah. around COVID, oh, it was really yeah. challenging, you know, with, uh, getting vaccinated and when are we eligible and all the things that had to be done before I could see him. So, um, I know birthdays are set and in times that don't have COVID, you know, the world shutting down, I know every year that I'm going to see my son around my birthday and around his, and that is set in stone. Well, let's back up a little bit in time. Uh, you've mentioned on your blog and we're going to talk about your book here in a minute, but this kind of leads up to that. You mentioned, after placing your son for adoption in 2013, that you struggled through depression and addiction and overcoming the stigma that surrounds birth moms. And you say, let's see, quote, I have a quote here saying there was a day about four years ago when I looked into the mirror and said, you have to tell your story. You have to speak up and share with others how you overcame your trauma. It was that day that I started 20 something birth mother and the rest is history. So can you talk me through that a little bit? Like, and I know you go through it a little bit in your book, but how do you overcome, how did you were able to overcome these struggles to the point where you're like where you are now and just confident and sharing your story? You're coming out a podcast, sharing your story. I mean, that, that seems like way away from dealing through with depression and addiction and overcoming the stigma. Can you talk through that? Yeah, Tim. I mean, the biggest, one of the biggest struggles outside of actually placing my son was the feeling of constantly being alone Mm. that nobody understood what I was going through. I mean, for the first couple years of my son's life, I didn't, people didn't know I was pregnant, that I had had a baby. I hid my pregnancy from, you know, 
most of everybody in my life except my immediate family and a couple of close friends, um, which is actually why I ended up living with my son's mom for two months before I gave birth because I hid I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So you take, you know, one of the most traumatic experiences, well, birth in itself is one of the most traumatic experiences that a woman will do for your body and and you add adoption into it. And I felt like I had nobody. And not just the fact that nobody knew, but it was a constant, you know, people asking me, well, what's wrong with you? You don't seem the same. And me having to say, oh, you know, just busy or <laughs> you know, just going through some trying to blow it off. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not being able to share what was really going on. And right. so you add that and then you add also like nobody understands what it's like to be a birth mom unless you're a birth mom. I mean, any, any, anybody can try to empathize and I so appreciate all the people in my life who do it. And in fact, I have a conversation with my boyfriend about this all the time. Like I'm so grateful for his support, but I also need support from birth moms. Like it's, it's so challenging to get people to understand that you, you, you just can't get it unless you're a birth mom. And I, and I, you know, I went through years without speaking to another birth mom. I mean, years. And and I've been on support groups since then of women who have gone 50, 60 years with never speaking wow. to another birth mom, never sharing their story. I've been on multiple virtual support groups since COVID where women, you know, who would place their child 50, some, one of the women was 60 years ago. Wow. She'd never shared her story in that entire time. But COVID allowed for these virtual support groups where they felt safe to speak. And I mean, I'm, I'm on the, the lower end of that where I only went a couple of years, but going through that pain alone, it definitely led to addiction. I mean, I started with drinking where I just, I was out of control because for me, the only time I could talk about my son openly was with strangers drunk at a bar hmm. who I would never see again. Right. They weren't a part of my life and I would just get into points where it, it was unsafe. I remember calling my mom and saying, when I was in my senior year of college saying, I need help. I'm scared that I'm going to put myself in a situation, just a scary situation. And I can't stop. I can't stop on my own. Um, and I had a lot of those moments. And, you know, I think when I, when I moved out to California, I graduated college, moved to Washington DC for a little bit. And then the company I worked for out there, I ended up moving to California and my son lives in California. And that added a whole new layer to struggle because I was now, you know, I was now a six hour drive from my son Mm -hmm. and I still couldn't see him. And I had started traveling to Los Angeles for work on a monthly basis and I still couldn't see him over those two to three times a year. And it drove me to a point where I was using, you know, drugs and alcohol to numb my pain mm-hmm. because I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. I mean, it just, and if you remember in the beginning, I said that I had originally thought I wanted the East coast to West coast so I could be far away. Cause I thought that would be easier. I mean, I was right. <laughs> I was so right. <laughs> When I was so close and I still couldn't like yeah. be a part of his life as much as I, I needed to, it was, it was just the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And so that really led to, you know, it led to deep depression and drinking. And, and I'll tell you, I've always been a person who on the outside, you know, you look at people who, you know, 
people we all know who have committed suicide and on the outside, they're so happy and, right. and they're those people for everybody who hold everybody up and, and they, they laugh and they have fun. And, and that was me. I mean, I was that person for my, my friend group and my family. And on the inside, I'm sitting here thinking like, I can't survive another day. Like I can't keep going through this. And it got to a point where I had a really scary experience with drinking too much and um, using drugs. And, and I had what I felt was that rock bottom moment. And it really woke me up. And, you know, I started to share with my family and friends that you were right. Like, this is a problem. And, you know, like all those other people we know who have, who were those happy go lucky people. I mean, I still had friends. I still had a job. So, you know, some people can say that's not rock bottom, but for me, it felt that was my rock bottom in my story. You know, I just, I thought I was going to die and I kept thinking like, this cannot be not just my story, but my son's story. Like, my gosh, like this can't be our story. And, you know, after that moment, I decided, you know, I am going to get help. I'm going to find support groups. I'm going to find a way to overcome this because I can't keep living in this, in this darkness and I can't keep living and going through this alone and not being able to talk about how I feel. And I think over the course of about, you know, two to three years, I did find, you know, people who helped lift me up and I found therapy where I felt safe and there was a safe place to, to talk. And, you know, I rediscovered affirmation cards and, you know, people can say, oh, those are wooey or whatever. But I swear, I think the biggest thing that got me through my struggles was things like affirmation cards and telling myself every single day that I was worthy and I was a good person and I was a good mom and, you know, all of these positive things that I constantly told myself every single day until I believed them. And, you know, when it came to the point where I felt you know, I woke up in the morning and I truly believe those things are true. I mean, Tim, like it was like a, a switch flipped and I was like, oh my gosh, when did I really start believing this? Mm. And, you know, going through all of that and, you know, finding purpose and not just my career, but helping other birth moms who, you know, 20 something birth mother, the anonymous blog I wrote, I didn't want other birth moms to feel alone. You know, I felt so alone because I didn't think that people understood what I was going through. And I thought, you know, other, even other birth moms, like I just hadn't connected with them enough to know that they feel the same exact way I do. Like we're all going through this and, the, and feeling, even though our stories are all so different, it's the same underlying feelings. Yeah. And, and I just didn't want anyone to feel alone. So I think, you know, that drive of just being, not wanting anyone else to wake up on a bathroom floor, you know, shaking, thinking they were going to die. I didn't want another birth mother to feel that and another birth mother to have to go through that alone, which is what drove me to, you know, write my book and since, you know, started, you know, another podcast and, and constantly, you know, share my story. I mean, I am so open about my, my, my son now. I mean, thinking back to when I first placed and I wasn't telling anybody to now when people ask me my story, not even just with adoption, I share that I'm a birth mom. You know, my colleagues know that I'm a birth mom. Most of my, in my, in my career, I, I'm in, you know, partnership sales. So most of the people who know me on an intimate basis, who I work with, even at the partner that I manage, I mean, they know I'm a birth mom. 
it's on my LinkedIn page, you know, (laughs) you know, all of my interviews go on my LinkedIn page. And even though that's considered, you know, more the professional side, I'm so open about it. And I think being able to cross that bridge and, and knowing that I'm not alone and, and that I, I can help people has just been, it's been transformative for me. And I think we're all searching for our purpose and our why. And that has been, you know, my source of, I think that this is my purpose. I don't want other people to have to suffer and, you know, I want them to be able to find their light too and and see the other side of it. Gosh, it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. And that goes to anything in life. Yeah. And I think that goes to you, Tim, too, and your, you know, your listeners who are adopted parents, like we don't have to go through any of this stuff alone. There are so many people going through what we're going through. We just have to be able to to find them and find those resources and then be open enough to have those conversations. Very well said. Yes. I've been beating the drum of community for a while now. I mean, community is super important and uh, having a community is, is good. Having the right community is better because you can get lost in certain communities, especially online. Um, you get in Facebook groups and other things and you just get lost and you're just kind of a I don't want to use the word troll, but you're, you're a person just reading things uh, rather than participating. And that helps. But when you actually find somebody and you're communicating with somebody that's been through what you've gone through or, or are going through at the same time, what you're going through is huge. Being able to communicate with them. And I think that's what I love about your book is that you are opening and not just your book, but everywhere you are, like you said, on social media, you're opening that door to say, hey, anybody else? dealing with this, come on, let's talk, let's communicate, let's be a community together. And, and having your book out there really uh, shedding the light on how you can find hope. And I love that your name is hope and you're finding hope. That's just perfect. So your book's called finding hope, a birth mother's journey into the light. And, uh, you can get that book, uh, anywhere. What the great things are. And I love, this is what you say on your website. And I hope everybody goes to it. That's hopeobaker.com. And we'll give you that link in the show notes. But on your website, you say there are four key things that I want you to take away from my story. And I'm not going to read through them all, but these four key things are really, really cool because you're talking about community. You're talking about pain. You're talking about working through things. You're talking about open adoption. You're talking about relationships. You're talking about how to uh, work through the pain. And that it's, it's okay to, to embrace it and work through it with others. So, um, it, to, to go from where you've been to where you are now is just, uh, inspiring and impressive. And I'm, I'm so glad you wrote, wrote the book. And I wanted to ask you what, what, what's the number one reason? I mean, I gave, I gave four right there, I guess, but what's the number one reason why adoptive families? So most people listening to this are adoptive families or hopeful adoptive families. What's the number one reason they should get your book and read it? Yeah, I think that the biggest, one of the biggest issues in adoption in my eyes is it's kind of that it's kind of goes back to what you're just saying. I mean, the communication piece and the community piece, typically hopeful adoptive parents, prospective adoptive parents, they only talk to adoptive parents, mm-hmm. right? It's just, it just, it's how it works. <laughs> they don't. Well, or they don't know any better. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Right. Right. And I think that that's this, this big issue is that, you know, they're reading books by people who have adopted 
or they're talking to other adoptive families who have done it in the past and asking them about the process. And, and I think even with, with birth moms and two, and you know, when you're expectant mother, I mean, you're not necessarily talking to people who have adopted in the past and asking them about it, it kind of, it goes both ways too. But I think that the best way for us to move forward and, and move forward together, because at the end of the day, we're making decisions. You and I both made decisions for our child that they had no say in. Right. They had no say in this decision, right? They were born and they were adopted. You and I both made conscious decisions to make that decision for them. And they don't have a say. And at the end of the day, every decision we make after that has to be with them in mind. And when I think about, you know, when I think about a problem at work or a scenario at work, my first thought is to look at all the different sides. What's your perspective? What's your perspective? What's your perspective? And how do we come to the best outcome? And I think that needs to, that needs to apply to adoption. We have to listen to birth mother experiences. Yeah. We have to listen to adult adoptee experiences and also adoptive parents. I mean, you're, <laughs> I feel like if you go into the, the Instagram community of adult adoptees and even birth moms, adoptive parents are getting, are getting beat up. And I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not anti-adoption at all, but they are. And I, and I think it's because adult adoptees and birth moms don't feel listened to. Hmm. Right. We're not because at the end of the day in adoption, we're not the ones writing checks. And I think that it all comes back to that's who we feel is listened to in adoption with agencies, with attorneys is, is who's paying for it. And, and that's, that's crappy. Right. I mean, I don't want adoptive parents to be painted in, in this negative light where everything is your fault, because I don't think it is. I think it all comes down to, you know, communication and, and even agencies and, and lawyers and all the different people who make adoption go around, even outside of our triad, right? Them also listening to, to the voices, the other voices of the triad. Um, but I do think that our experiences are so important. And in order to get a full picture of what we go through and what adoption is outside of just the, the struggles that, you know, adoptive parents go through, it's important to listen to us Absolutely. and to hear our voices and to hear what we may have needed or, or what we didn't get. Mm. I mean, if you think about it in my specific adoption, I received three therapy sessions that was included in my, in my contract, three therapy sessions to process. Not enough. Yeah. Not enough to, to go to process for the rest of my life. That was what was included. Yeah. And I think, you know, an agency and, you know, in non private adoptions such as myself, where there wasn't agency involved. I mean, you know, sometimes they get three, sometimes they get five, sometimes the agency has a support group, but not really right. For the most part, that's just not there. And that's an issue. And I think adoptive parents, I mean, do they even know that? Do they know that there is almost 0% support offered or given to birth mothers after they've placed their children with your family? I mean, do they know that? I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of adoptive parents. I mean, they're like, holy crap. Like I had no idea. Yeah. They would never find that acceptable if they actually knew yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about how much it costs to adopt a child. And when you look at, you know, I mean, I, I personally feel like birth mother support afterwards. I'm not talking financial support. I'm just talking basic right. support groups, access to therapy. Those things should be just basic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it should just be standard that an adoption agency, if you're going to have expectant mothers place their children with your families, 
you should have to provide support groups. I mean, you should. And those things are so basic. And I think that adoptive parents, they don't even know those things don't exist. Right. Right. So I think that's why it's so important to constantly listen to all sides. I mean, I, I tell my, anybody I meet, I mean, listen, I wrote my book so birth mothers didn't feel alone, but also so adoptive parents can learn, I mean, what it's like to be a birth mom and the struggles that we go through and help them understand what their child's, you know, birth mom might be going through or why she might be silent right now or why she doesn't understand how to communicate with you because she's never been taught. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're not, we're so just, true. we're not, those things aren't taught to us. Yep. So we're freaking, we're freaking it out as we go. And it's complicated, right? And that's what I love about your book. I mean, you, even a little excerpt here says in this love letter to her son, Hope shows how messy and chaotically beautiful adoption can be by sharing the authentic details of a remarkable story that that says a lot in one sentence about what it's a beautifully worded way to to say what's in your book and why uh, people should get it and read it uh, absolutely uh, anything else you want to say about your book or, or why people should should get it and read it i mean it just to read your story and to, I'm intrigued. I think everybody else should be intrigued about reading your story and, and hearing what's in it because all the details are what you really need. That's where the real inspiration comes from. And the real learning comes from is all the details in, in your story. So in your book, so I highly recommend everybody getting it. Anything else you want to say about your book? Uh, I would just say, if you read it or when you read it and you have questions, reach out to me. I'd love to discuss and yeah. even, to hear about your experience, right? I mean, I'm 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 so open to all that communication and, and I welcome it. Awesome. Yes. So on your website, hopeobaker.com, you you can find your, your book there, but you also do coaching, you do speaking, you or you have a blog, uh, you have a podcast. Uh, can you go through those all those a little bit and just uh, <laughs> share what you want to share? I mean, we could probably do that for another hour, but <laughs> yeah, Tim, I think that means that I'm really, really busy. <laughs> Sounds like it. Sounds like it. I love it. I, um, yeah, I think you know, I I have a full time job and I love my career, software sales and partnerships, and you know that really drives me and and I love that. But as I mentioned earlier, I mean, my purpose is not to you know be in software sales. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I plan on making a long career out of it, but my, you know, my purpose to me is to help others through whether you're a birth parent or an adoptive parent, or even an adoptee, just giving them the perspective of a birth mom. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where those coaching sessions come from. And, and that's where the podcast comes from that I host with two other great women who it's, I'm the birth mom. There's an adoptee and there's an adoptive mom. So we come together to represent awesome. the triad. And yeah. My gosh, I cry on every episode. <laughs> um, I swear. I, uh, I, I literally cry every episode um, because it's, it's so interesting to just be interviewing everyone from the triad and that's what fulfills me. So when I think about my, the busy life, I mean, I, I ne I'm never too busy to have those conversations and, to come on podcasts like this, Tim, I, I'm so thankful you having me on um, and do talks, whether it's for, you know, an adoption conference or, you know, even agencies ask me to come speak, which I, I thoroughly enjoy when I get to talk to prospective adoptive parents or even adoptive parents who are asking for support and, 
and just communicating with her birth mom. I love that. So, you know, I'm, I'm open for all of it. And I try to find enough hours in the day <laughs> to do it all. <laughs> but here I am, I'm, I'm making it work. Well, I love that you're doing that because boy, you just give a perspective that anybody in the adoption community can pull from and learn from and grow with. So that's just amazing that, that you're doing that. I, I really appreciate that you're putting yourself out there because it's not easy. I get it. I, I'm in a full-time job and doing all this stuff has got to be really, really busy, um, but fulfilling as well. Sounds like very much for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, very fulfilling. All right. Well, as we wrap up, I already mentioned your website, hopeobaker.com. Is that the main place people can find you or where else would people look for you? I would say either there or Instagram. So Hope O Baker, Hope O Baker is everything. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I, that's my name on everything. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm always tell people that when you, there's not very many Hope O Bakers in the world. So, uh, <laughs> it's true. Website. I see it on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. You're, you're everywhere there. So yeah. Hope O Baker. That's it. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's where you can find me. And, you know, I answer my website, contact me, but Instagram is probably the easiest way to get in touch. Perfect. And we'll put all these links in the show notes so you can be easy if you're driving or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, don't have to feel like you're frantically writing anything down, things down. Um, you can just go over to infiniteadoptionguide.com forward slash 96. That is where you will find all these links. And you can re-listen to this because just everything that you shared today just is uh so important for us to hear the perspective of a birth mom. And I thank you for, for, for being so brave and courageous and uh, getting over everything you've done is so inspiring to, to do it. And I know a large part of it is because of your son and you're there for him. And that's so important. And I applaud you for that. And uh, I very much appreciate you coming on the show. I am anybody who's listening to this, be sure to go get her book at hopeobaker.com. You can find it on Amazon too, but it's called Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey Into the Light. And thanks for coming on the show today, Hope. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate the conversation. All right. Amazing interview with Hope. Love, love, love her and what she's all about. Very inspirational story. And you could just listen to her all day long. And I invite you to do that. Actually, she's got a podcast uh, that we talked about in the interview that, uh, I would highly recommend you going and checking out. Um, she also has, though, places that you can talk to her directly. She does coaching sessions with adoptive families. She does coaching sessions with birth moms. So if you want to know how you can love on your child's birth mom more, or you want to know how to get even more of a birth mom's point of view, or you want to know how open adoption works and the right way to be uh, communicating and be thoughtful and to come up with some good uh, steps to having an open adoption relationship. She's got all that. She can help you with all that in her coaching sessions. Go to hopeobaker.com. You can find how to talk with her. You can find the podcast. You can find her book. Um, she does speaking. She's got a blog. She's got all sorts of things at hopeobaker.com. And that's also how you can follow her through Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So it's all there. And she does an amazing job of writing and expressing her feelings and, and what she has been through. So I highly recommend you go over and checking that out. And um, 
Also, check out infantadoptionguide.com. We got all sorts of great resources for you there as well, articles and other podcasts. And you can find a couple of links there at the top of the page to our community, Facebook community. If you haven't joined that yet, I highly recommend that. Community is super important, like we talked about in the interview. You also can find a couple of our online programs. One is Adoption Profile Video, how to create and share the right profile video. And then the newest one is all about how to find your adoption agency, like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, findmyadoptionagency.com. All right, that's all I have for you today. Can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. Until next time, though, you are in my prayers as you go on the journey to build your family through infant adoption. God bless. Thanks for listening to my dad.